So it was meant to be a, a quick lesson. I only had one question left. Now it's probably going to drag on for another, <laughs> another class. But it's okay. I think it's important that we get through these things and really get to know each other. Uh, you get to know the OPC in our tradition. Um, before you make that final commitment, that final that vow before the church, uh, it's, in, it's important to know where we come from, um, uh, especially the OPC, because, yeah, we, we can be reformed, but the OPC is a little different, even from other reformed denominations. And I'll, I'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, actually, last week, I was thinking all week about it, and I said, I've got to bring this back up. Uh, Jesse asked a question on Nazi Germany and how we can prevent becoming the Lutheran Church during that time period, what they did, right, uh, by allowing the Nazis to pretty much overtake the church. So I want to hear from you. What do you think, because you hear it a lot, Christians should have done something. The church should have said something. What do you think they should have done? Well, the church did something. Bonhoeffer was, you know, what about Bonhoeffer? He did something. I mean, the, the general... But was that the church or that, was that him? I don't know. The Christian, right? So I want, you, you make the distinction between Christians who live out in society. Forget his, you know, once I'm living out in society, I'm not like the pastor of the society, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian out in society. And we need to make distinctions between what the church does and what Christians do in society, right? We gotta don't we try not to mix up the categories because you know that's exactly what Rome did, right? And uh, yes, Jesse. So I know that a lot of pastors got together and drafted a document mm-hmm. and said we're not going to stand for this um, for hating the Jews in we're response not to stand it. for it, and that there was that was a big movement. So that's something that the church can do and should do and did do. Okay. Like a general assembly getting together and saying, we don't stand for this. Yes, and a lot of people got a lot of names were killed. A lot of people were killed on on the names that wrote the document. Okay. And and that's in Germany. Was that here? That was Germany. Okay, okay. I didn't hear that, Jesse. I'm sorry. I mean, a bunch of pastors got together and said, we're not going to, what's the big word for hating the Jews? Yeah, anti-Semitism. We're not in the church in Germany, and like a hundred, a great amount of pastors signed it, and that was one thing example of what the church can. do. I think that's right. I think that was absolutely one hundred percent right for them to do. Time, okay. maybe. I mean, it, it would be different with the church here. What, what was going on in the church during the war, World War II that was going on here? What was the big issue? Similar. There was a lot of accommodation to what the Nazis, you know, the Nazis were pushing it down. A lot of them kind of let things, a lot of the Christians and the Christian church kind of let it go, you know. Yeah. And they let go of something else that was happening here. Segregation. Oh. In the South. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Uh, between blacks and whites. They had to be separate. We allowed that for long time uh-huh. right and um, segregation wasn't just we were separating whites and blacks it was also a systemic oppression it was systemic not uh, people argue about today but I'm talking about then 
It was systemic. It was a way of limiting resources to a certain group of people. And eventually, it was also set up as a genocide. Their plans going forward was eliminate an entire people group. And so, I mean, you get on, you know, Christians not standing up to Nazis. We, We can't forget that. Can't forget that situation. We can't forget even today we have we're, we have so much going on in our world, in our society, that what is it, what has the church been provided that is sufficient to change the hearts and minds of people? The word of God, the gospel. So my, my view of what happened in Nazi Germany wasn't so much they should have said something, but it's the church should have never got involved with the political agendas of the day. They should have never allowed the, the Nazis to walk into the churches and put up Nazi banners on the walls. Right? What direction do you think our churches are heading in today? There are the same political agendas, even if we agree with them, are being imposed on the church, even today. And we, we will get into that a uh, little more. And, and we're talking about, yeah, government coming, coming and taking over our church. What I'm more concerned with than uh, governments taking our rights away, uh, when, we, when we read the scripture, what do we expect from the government? Right? We expect them to take, take our rights away and to kill us and to persecute us. This is what we have seen since the gospel has been going forth. Persecution. And in that persecution, the church thrives. Um, what scares me more than, than government coming and taking over is the church allowing the political quibbles of the, wor- of the world and society come in, into the church and divide us up into categories, into groups, into all these other things, right? Um, now, again, Nazi Germany, much more serious situation. Than we can't even compare our situation to what was going on in Nazi Germany. And thankfully, we have a system that can prevent that from happening if, if it's carried out rightfully. But what, what scares me more is the pride of Christians in allowing uh, the politics of the day to divide us. Uh, like um, what, what really angered me uh, during all of the last two years with COVID and with the political turmoil was a banner that had Jesus' name on it and then a politician's name on the same banner. I don't care who that politician is. Do you not think that is using the Lord's name in vain? And um, that worries me more because if it's in our churches, we we need to address it. Because like Linda said last week, the church is is the gathering of the saints. Sundays is about the saints. And we need to address those issues that we're not getting too overtaken by society and what's going on in the world. Um, and a, a question was asked to me too when I was in seminar, and I'll bring up this book. Um, I'm doing a lot of book dropping today. I'm not selling anything. We have it in the library, so uh, we have all this in the library, and we have pamphlets. Um, but um, The Church of God by Stuart Robinson. Now, Stuart Robinson is a controversial figure. Uh, he was in the PCUSA when they were still solidly uh, reformed and uh, confessional. And he, um, he lived and he preached during the time of the Civil War. Now remember how politically contentious 
that time period was between the Confederates and the uh, Union. And the church actually split between North and South, or Union and Confederate, right? Where did he preach? He preached in Kentucky. Kentucky was neutral ground. They were neither Confederate nor Union. And his preaching was the same. His applications to his sermons weren't join the Union or join the Confederacy. It was repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And that got him in a whole heap of trouble. He, uh, I, I believe, you've got to read it for yourself, I believe he, he was exiled to Canada. He had to leave the U.S. because he didn't take a stance on the Civil War in his preaching. Not just personally, in his preaching, he didn't take a stance. And many churches during that time became federated churches. Right? They either joined the Union in their political debate, or they joined the Confederates. And both of them said, God is with us. God is on our side. Well, but you're opposed to each other. Which one is he on? Is he the one or the other? You know? And so, and so I, I, I definitely uh, promote this book. And, and someone asked me, what would I do if I was there during the time of slavery and I had slave owners in my church? That's a good question. Because if you're convicted that what they were doing was sinful... The minister, got to, he has to do something about it. And I said, okay, well, distinctions, right? My answer is not, you better align yourself with the Union or, or the Union Army. My, uh, my concern is mainly spiritual, and I'm going to confront the slaveholders and say, do you think this is in line with your Christian profession? And follow the ch- steps of church discipline, Right? Follow the steps of church discipline until, until I see repentance, until I see fruits of him setting up a life for these slaves that he uh, held, or, or whatever the case may be. I mean, you can go into a lot of detail about that. So that's how I would do it as a minister. My answer is not join a certain part, join a certain side of the debate. My answer is mainly spiritual. Uh, how do you view Christ as your Lord, and what are you doing about it? And so that's that. I um, have a quick agenda here. Um, so last week, last week's sermon, and it, and it ties into what I preached on last week. Last week's sermon draw a lot of questions. Right? Linda had a lot of questions. Jesse had a, a lot of people had questions. They asked about, you know, what do I do in this situation? I think Linda brought a situation that had to do with morals. And I think in the area of morals, you have the liberty to call it out, right? Uh, especially Christian morals. Um, you know, the law. We're, we're not giving up the law of God for the sake of freedom, right? We're bound to the law of God still as Christians. Um, but here I found a good, uh, from a commentary by Charles Hodge, and I'm going to hand this out to you, uh, by Charles Hodge, oops, on 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 11, 1. Uh, if you'd like, yeah, great, thanks, thanks um, they gave, he gives five kind of points to follow when trying to decide, is this Christian liberty, right? Is it, uh, should I not make a big deal out of it? Uh, or should I um, stick to my guns and, and, you know, say, well, this is wrong, right? Or, 
where do I compromise? How do I compromise? Those kinds of things. And, and the language is a little uh, heavy, and I'll try to explain it as we go. Um, so they accommodated the first point. They, that is the church, um, uh, specifically the apostles, they accommodated themselves to Jewish, Jewish or Gentile usages only in matters of indifference, food and drink, in out in the world, in, in public society, right? And living in the world. Can you go to a Muslim's house and have a meal together? Of course you can. Of course you can. Um, um, if they pray over the food, maybe abstain. Right? Abstain from joining in prayer. That might cause conflict, but um, that's my take on what, what is allowed, right? They abstain from all accommodation, even in things indifferent under circumstances, which gave to those things a religious import. So what does he mean by that? So what did he make a distinction of in that passage from last week? Going, Christians should not go to a pagan temple on their day of worship, or whatever they call it, and partake of the food that is sacrificed to idols, because that is an act of worship. That is an act of worship. That is not just, the food is not indifferent in that sense. Because you're gathering with unbelievers who believe differently and you are partaking of their act of worship. Okay? That is different than partaking of meat that's sacrificed to idols, say, at the market. We don't know if, you know, you go to Price Chopper. Who knows if there's not a pagan back there? I sacrifice you to, you know, doing a. We don't, we have no idea. Uh, we, we wouldn't know. At that time, they did know. And he said, It's okay to eat that food. It's okay. It shouldn't even bother you. Uh, food is nothing. Idols are nothing. The problem is with the unbeliever and how he worships, his heart of worship. That's what we're here to proclaim the gospel to change, to bring light to. Um, and then thirdly, he says, they conceded when the concession was not demanded as a matter of necessity. Conceded means to give into. Um, give into something. Like just some, somebody concedes in an election. They're giving into. Yeah, they won. I, I give up, right? Um, they conceded when the concession was not demanded as a matter of necessity, but refused when it was so regarded, Right? The, the weaker believer coming up to him and saying, uh, that was sacrificed to an idol. And you can see he's in turmoil. You know? He hasn't gotten to that point of freedom. Okay, I'll, I'm not going to do it for your sake. For your sake, if it's bothering you that much, we, we are to uh, err on the side of love and mercy and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And I made the point of uh, making the analogy of alcohol. And I'll get to that. So, uh, if we can push as much discussion as we can towards the end, uh, because there's a lot to go through. Um, so uh, Paul said circumcision was nothing and uncircumcision was nothing. If you circumcise your kid, go for it. I mean, you, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's okay. If not, that's fine. Okay? That's not the point. That's not the problem here. Yet he resisted the circumcision of Titus when it was demanded by the Judaizers. Why? I'm pretty sure Titus was half Gentile. And to impose circumcision by the Judaizers on a, someone who was part Gentile, no, you can't do that. Right? 
also, the Judaizers were at the level of teaching. They were in uh, places of leadership by this time, and they had turned from the gospel, the gospel of, uh, especially when regards to Christian freedom and liberty. Uh, and they were trying to impose circumcision on everybody. If <laughs> You're not going to be saved if you do not circumcise your child. And so Paul resisted at that point. So there's a distinction there. Weak believer, what you do with them, and what you do with leaders and teachers. They can't bind you to legalism. Unfortunately, today, you have churches that have swapped that. Right? Weak believers, we are hard on weak believers. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want. Then teachers who are teaching are teaching legalistic practices. And again, we'll get, in, we'll get into that as we get into kind of the, where the OPC comes from. So it is included in the above uh, uh, particulars. Oh, wait. Um, sorry. Point four. The object of their concessions was not to gain their nominal converts, nor to do away with the offense of the cross. So they did not compromise on the gospel. And I would add, they, would, they did not compromise on the law of God, the moral law of God. But the reason why they, uh, um, uh, they conceded was to save men, right? Salvation was the point. They said, okay, we're not going to force this weaker, weaker believer. He, he still needs to grow up into salvation. He needs to grow in sanctification. And for um, the non-believer, I'm going to eat with whoever. I'm going to befriend whoever, right? Uh, holding on to Christian conviction, not compromising, but I'll be eat with whoever wants to eat with me, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, no concession, therefore, whether to the manners of the world or to the prejudices of the ignorant can plead the sanction of apostolic example, which is not, which is not that object honestly in view. Um, fifthly, it is included in the above particulars that Paul, in becoming all things to all men, never compromised any truth or sanctioned any error. That's important. Never compromised on any truth or sanctioned any error, you know. Uh, sometimes it could be just the way we deliver um, the law of God and say, well, I don't do that because that's against God's law. The way we do it, maybe we need to reconsider and how we don't want to sound you know, legalistic and uh, communicate that people are saved by obeying the law. We're not saved by obeying the law. Uh, but I, I think it's an issue today of communication, of how we communicate with neighbors, the law of God. Um, so not to make it, you know, we're perfect and they're not, right? That kind of thing. So that was the first thing, and we got in a little bit into the Nazi discussion. So what's the problem with, in both of these passages, right? Uh, both of these, I mean, the passage and the Nazi Germany, the way we think of Nazi Germany and how they were overwhelmed by the political agenda of the day. What's the solution? Know your tradition. Know uh, where, the, like where the OPC came from. That's one solution. Um, which I'm going to start to hand out stuff. Now, uh, here, here is for you. You can get one of these. So you can take that. Um, that's like the outline of where we are. We're on number four. Um, the OPC was born 
not just as an answer to liberalism. Right? Not just as an answer to liberalism. There was the modernist, fundamentalist battle going on. Those who believed in the fundamental teachings of the Bible, that the Bible is inerrant, the doctrines of the Holy, uh, Holy Trinity, uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin, and that he was raised bodily. If you don't believe in these things, you're not a Christian. That's what J. Gresson Machen, who is the founder, I, I know some OPC guys, they're again saying Machen was the founder. He was the founder. He was the founder of the OPC. And he rose in opposition. He was one of the only. And they said, if Machen didn't oppose liberalism at that time, we would have no conservative seminaries today. He influenced, I believe, over 64 seminaries to be started across the country. What if, year was this? Uh, this was in, nine, well, officially, I believe, 1929, he established Westminster Theological Seminary, but it was going on since the early 20s. And the OPC was, I believe, founded in 36, then split in 37. We'll get to that. Um, so <clears throat> the OPC was brought about not just an answer to, to liberalism, which is not Christianity, as he says in his book, Christianity and Liberalism, another book you should get if you're, if you're looking to be a member. Uh, not only an answer to liberalism, but also an answer to fundamentalism. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Machen was a fundamentalist, wasn't he? Yes, in regards to the Bible, it's the very word of God, in regards to the Trinity, in regards to um, salvation, right? In regards to Jesus and who he is and how he was born of a virgin. He wrote a very technical book on the virgin birth of Christ, uh, going through all the Gospels. It's a great book. I don't know if you'd like to read it. It's very technical, but very good. He was a great professor and teacher. Um, he was a fundamentalist in those things, but what he was not was in what the fundamentalists were doing practically. Uh, the fundamentalists were trying to bind people to political agendas, to um, certain practices that are not bound in Scripture. We're not told in Scripture, for instance, not to drink alcohol. Actually, we're told to drink, if anything, on the other. And the Lord's Supper, that's why I believe in straight-up wine for the Lord's Supper, not grape juice. But again, I need to convince other people of that before we get it done. Uh, you know, all these movements that were started by evangelicals, Machen said, we have no stance on these. We cannot, we cannot stand with the prohibitionists, and we cannot stand with uh, the temperance movement. That's outside of the bounds of the scripture. It's outside of the bounds of what the Westminster Confession of Faith allows ministers to bind people to. And it is outside the bounds of what Christians can bind other Christians to. And that's important in knowing when entering an OPC church, you'll see people of all different stripes. All different stripes. Politically, um, Practically, right? People who don't, who are opposed to drinking alcohol, and those who do drink alcohol. Uh, you know, people. For instance, the question came up about Halloween. People who go out trick or treating, and those who don't, right? Because the Scripture does not expressly forbid it, so we can't bind people to it. It can't be this long deduction. 
from Scripture, and then you finally get to here, and it's like, okay, but there's, there's this agreement, right? And so, so Christian liberty was the other side of the OPC's founding, and it's a big side, and it, and it is a side that we continue to fight for today, because as I spoke to someone this past week, the fundamentalist strain is coming back into the OPC church, and we need to stand and say, no, you, the scripture does not bind us to that. The confessions do not bind us to that. Uh, we're limited in our church authority, and you're limited as a Christian as what you can bind Christians to, especially if you claim to be strong, right, a strong believer. So Christian liberty, and I'm going to read this one article to you as I pass it out. Uh, it's funny, I was looking for an article on Christian liberty uh, this last week, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't find it. This is so in- important for us to know, because we don't want to join an OPC church that we expected something from the minister or from the session, but we didn't, we didn't get it, right? You want to know what you're going to expect in the OPC. Uh, you're not going to get the same things you get in the PCA. We're different. You're not going to get the same things you get in the RP church. We're different, and the RP and the PCA are different from each other, right? The OPC comes from a different background. And this is on... <clears throat> oh, sure, sure, thanks. You can talk. You're going to be our... Uh, repre- oh, actually, can I get one of those? Can I get one of those? Fundamentalists are the people who believe in the fundamentals of the faith, but they grew to be legalists. Okay. Okay. Um, in, in culture, they, they were big on changing the culture. They were big on changing society. So they infiltrated politics and they infiltrated. So uh, an example: the Jerry Falwells of today. Okay. Uh, I, just, the, I was kind of hope that was that makes it easier for me. To yeah. Talk. So so the moral majority, Billy Graham. You know, Jerry Falwell, uh, a lot of these movements that came out of Francis Schaeffer as well. Um, I believe so, yes. He, he, so the church, the OPC split in 1937 over the issue of drinking, dancing, theater, the, these minor things that shouldn't split a church. And, um, and I think he, he was part of the group. Now, he's not, I believe he was part of the group. I got I got a, don't take my word for it. I have a book here I'm going to drop that you can read. But he is part of the group that said no, no to all these and try to influence like the U.S. government into making more stricter laws on certain issues, right? Um, so really, you can say the fundamentalists were the culture sh- movers and shakers. They wanted to change the culture, make it quote-unquote Christian. Um, and uh, Machen said, well, a lot of these things they're trying to change that we're not bound in scripture to it. We can see matters like abortion. That's murder. Right? We can see matters like that. But there's other things like prohibition. I'm not, we're not bound to it. You can't, you can't tell the church we need to take a stance on this issue. No, we, we don't. We're not bound to it. Um, so, like I said, I was looking for this article and I couldn't find it. I knew the author, uh, J.V. Fesco. He's the same guy who wrote the, the book on baptism, which I recommended J.V. Fesco, great author, great, um, great OPC minister, great professor. He teaches down at RTS in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, 
he wrote an article not too long ago about becoming a hyphenated church, right? Becoming this kind of church. You can, you can name it, right? And so I was looking for that article. I know I read it. I read it in seminary. I said, this is going to be important for the church's life when I minister, because this is what I believe in. This is what I hold on to. And just so you know, before you become a member, uh, uh, that I'm not going to make a big deal over every personal conviction you may have, right? Uh, You may have personal convictions about certain things that I don't find it's a place for a minister to intrude on, okay? Or or to say you shouldn't have the personal conviction and at the same time reprimand those who who don't, right? It goes both ways. Uh, If you have a personal conviction about something, you have the freedom to do so. But I can't impose your personal conviction on others. That's where, that's where the church gets tricky. And that's where we have, I believe, fallen in many, many instances. Um, so, well, before I get to the article, we're a Presbyterian, right? A Presbyterian means we're elder run. We're run by elders. We're governed by elders. And I see most of these problems not in Presbyterian churches, not in Episcopal, right? Episcopal or bishop-run churches, <clears throat> but in Congregationalist churches, where the congregation has the final say on everything the church does. Um, and so, or, or even the pastor alone, right? He's alone making these decisions. And if he has a wacky idea, it's not going to be checked, you know, by a session or by other bishops, it's just going to happen, and it might split a church, you know, or, or the congregation might, might decide that we need to be this kind of church, and if we're not this kind of church, they, they hit, the, hit the road, right? Um, so, and, this is, and that is in, in itself fundamentalism. Uh, the fundamentals of the Bible going haywire, right? So, he writes on Christian liberty, and I didn't finish my story, so... Keep trying to. Looking for the article, didn't find it. So I reached out to J.V. Fesco myself through email, and, uh, and I said, listen, I'm looking for this article. I can't find it. Do you know where I can get it? Uh, or you, can you provide it for me? Because I, I think it'll be important for, for the church membership class. And he said, well, here you go. Within an hour later, he sends me an email. He's like, it took me a while, but I found it. Here's, here's the article. And while he was looking for the article, I was looking for the article, and I actually found it. And it wasn't this one. But I'm going to read this one. I'm going to read this one. I have the other article here for you as well, and I'll pass it out after I read this. Um, It's on Christian liberty. One of the most undervalued and unknown doctrines is Christian liberty. These days, fundamentalism is on the rise in the Reformed churches. People believe that the only way to combat the ever-increasing tide of secularism is to build high doctrinal seawalls to preserve the church from the flood. They believe that if everyone toes the same doctrinal, uh, doctrinal, I don't know what he said after that, that uniformity of belief and conviction will preserve the church from compromise, decline, and devolution. The problem is that people envision doctrinal uniformity in areas about which the Bible says little to nothing. Politics, think tax rates or universal health care. Courtship, how to meet and marry your mate. Or education, 
Homeschooling is the only way, for example. In the past, I would, have, would have, I would have visitors come to my church and ask me, is this a courtship church? Is this a homeschool church? Does your church distribute voting guides? Uh, there was an expected answer, and if I didn't give it, people would hit the bricks. In a nutshell, many Christians elevate matters of personal conviction to doctrinal positions that should be universally confessed. Any failure to adhere to these convictions constitutes more than a mild disagreement, but rather heterodoxy or worse, heresy. We are not the first Christians to face such things, and blessedly our theological forefathers thought the problem was significant enough to devote an entire chapter to the doctrine of Christian liberty in the Westminster Confession of Faith, that is chapter 20. In brief, the doctrine of Christian liberty maintains that only the doctrines of Scripture are morally binding, whereas the commandments of men are not, no matter how well intended or seemingly pious they might be. Only God has the right to bind our consciences. Our fellow Christians do not. Personal convictions never rise to the level of divinely given commands. In a similar vein, even if people try to pass off their opinions... As the teaching of scripture, we still have God-given freedom through Christ's mediatory work. Our declaration of righteousness through faith alone in Christ alone sets us free from the curse of the law and anyone who would try to bind our consciences. During the 16th and 17th centuries, Reformed theologians promoted the doctrine of Christian liberty because the Roman Catholic Church prohibited the eating of meat on Fridays and also claimed that celibacy was a superior form of Christian devotion. The reformers rejected such claims and held fast to the doctrine of Christian liberty. They refused to submit to such teachings because they were the mere teachings of men, not morally binding imperatives of Scripture. We still have the same Christ-wrought spirit applied freedom today. We should be careful, therefore, whenever we make the claim to offer the biblical Right, quote unquote, uh, teaching about certain preferred ways of life. We do not want to apply this label to a mere human opinion, let alone, to, let alone to try to bind the consciences of others in the church. Conversely, we can relish the freedom of Christ, free, the freedom Christ has given us through our justification. We only need to submit to the teaching of Scripture. Our Christian liberty should never be a cover-up for pretense for sin. What scripture forbids, we must never do. In the end, we should never look for or try to build a fill-in-the-blank church. Is this a fill-in-the-blank church? Such as debatable public policy, dating versus uh, different uh, convictions about uh, dating versus courtship. Sorry. Dating versus courtship, different convictions about homeschooling, uh, about schooling methods. Or eating vegetables versus meat, think Romans 14, should not be the things that people look for in a church. Rather, they should look for a church, as we discussed last time, that bears the three marks. The preaching of the gospel, the right administration of the sacraments, and the proper administration of church discipline. From there, they should look for a church where people with all sorts of personal convictions rally not around their own personal opinions, but around Jesus and his gospel.
And that is important. Uh, because, you know, especially in the OPC. Think of the OPC. Machen, politically, he was a Dixiecrat. He was a Southern dem- Democrat. And now he has all these Republican Northerners coming into the church. Did he, did he lead a campaign to get them out? No. Because they all agreed on what, they, what, what are the priorities of the church. The ministry of the word, ministry of the sacraments, and church discipline. Right? And the ministers were bound to the scriptures, to the confession of faith, to the book of church order. If it's not clear in those things, I cannot bind anybody to a certain personal conviction I have. And I have many personal convictions. But I have a lot of personal convictions I can't and, and preach about on a, on a Sunday morning. I can't do that. Because that goes against being a Christian, right? As we saw in the sermon last week. So I'm going to pass out these other uh, articles that will help us think these through. These are important to think through um, on your own. I'm not going to read all of this. This is a lot. Um, first one is coming in from the outside. And it's by J.V. Fesco again. And he uh, pretty much goes into the same issue. He uh, talks about uh, Christian liberty here and what Christians are bound to and what they're not bound to and how Machen started the OPC. Here we go. Sure. Um, I have another article. This is the bigger article. And it's called, it's speaking about uh, the OPC in the next 25 years. What, what are we to strive for as the OPC and as individual churches, local churches? Are we striving to be, what I'm going to cover here, a hyphenated church? Right? The hyphenated church. And this article is by Jeffrey J. Ventrella. He's an elder in the OPC. And again, if you have questions about certain convictions, right? Say you have a personal conviction and you don't know if it applies to all Christians or is it just you. um, Go on that OPC website and in the search engine, just type it in. I have, at the end of this, I have a couple of questions that I included. One is, um, is public school permissible or not? Right? And then, uh, to summarize, he says, yes, it is. And, and then, should uh, Christians participate in Halloween? Right? That's, that's something that can really uh, uh, bring people d- down, whether in their conscience or whatever. Uh, and he says, well, it's up to you. Pretty much, that's the general. And here he says, um, when, precept be- uh, when preference becomes precept, the church should never bring a personal preference or uh, personal conviction to the level of precept, right? Meaning, this is law. You cannot obey this. Uh, you, you cannot disobey this personal preference. And then he goes into, what is, what is hyphenation? Uh, he gives example. This is Trinity Church, KJV only, right? This is Grace Reformed Church, a politically active church. This is New Life Community Church, a homeschooling fellowship, etc. I've seen churches out, out in the West divide over homeschooling. There was a group of women who were devoted to it, 
And uh, another group that was indifferent, they said, I, I don't think uh, that is right for me or my family. They made a family decision, and they said, no. And eventually, it split a church. We had, there was a session, and the session was split on it. So, mind you, I was going to be called to this church. And I said from the beginning, I said, there's so much contention, I cannot take this call. I'm thinking in my head, and thankfully, they didn't go with me anyway, because I showed my opposition to teachings like theonomy. Um, I think that drove a lot of the, the question whether or not we should uh, enforce uh, uh, the Mosaic law and the Mosaic covenant on all, all of uh, the country, right? right. Uh, the moral law. What do we do with the first, five, the first four commandments about idolatry with unbelievers? Are we going to stone everybody in the country? No, you can't do that. So, um, so I opposed theonomy, and they, you know, they said, okay, we're going to go somewhere else. Um, but they split over this homeschooling movement because, you know, they were so convinced. And that's fine on a personal level. If that's your personal conviction, that's not what I'm preaching in the pulpit. I'm not bringing that issue here. That's, that's a wisdom issue, as, as we say in Scripture. There are wisdom issues and personal convictions that should never be brought to a church level and try to enforce it on other folks. Right? That's when you start dividing people. That's when you start dividing the church. And so that's an important article, when preference becomes precept. And um, <clears throat> with that said, you know... Um, we, we, we're going over this through this pamphlet also in uh, Why Christians Need Confessions. And one of the reasons why it, confessions delimit church power, right? Um, that is in tune with uh, confessions allow for appropriate discrimination between office bearers and members. And confessions highlight that which is of importance. Those three issues are important for us to consider, especially when considering our brothers and sisters in Christ. I, as a minister, cannot hold you to a certain schooling method. I cannot hold you to a certain political party. Right? That would go against even my vows. Uh, I cannot hold the church to those things. But the, con- but the confessions I am held to, and that's what we preach. Right? You want to know what we preach? Look in that book. Anything outside of that can be questionable. Yes, Jesse. Uh, so I just, there's a lot, of, a lot of negative talk. I did this back in the conviction. Uh, it doesn't take an ask a question or do you want to wait until the uh, Wait, because I'm, I'm just going to go over okay. some of these books and then I'm, I'm going to end it early today. Okay. Um, Fighting the Good Fight is by D.G. Hart and John Muther. Uh, John Muther is, I think they're both elders in the OPC. I think, I think John Muther is now down in Florida. Uh, Daryl Hart, H-A-R-T. He's an elder out in um, Michigan. I forgot where. It's where Hill, Hillsdale College is. And Hillsdale College is a beacon of conservatism. Uh, and he's a, te- he's a professor there in, in history. And he, he uh, wrote this brief history of the OPC, and what the OPC went through with all of these problems, uh, both on the liberal end and on the Christian liberty side of things. 
Uh, are Christians free in regard to you know, the whole uh, issue of prohibition? Of course they are. And it split the church in 1937. Um, and he goes over all of that in this book. They're free. I think we have two free copies in, in the foyer. And if you, if you don't get one, please go to the OPC website um, and uh, get one. It is important for church members to know because when you go and come into the church and expect one thing of a church and don't get it, you're going to be disappointed here. Um, um, like today, what, what is the issues today? Vax or no vaccine, right? Are you a vaccinated church or not a vaccinated? It's going to get there. It's already going there. And it's like, uh, please, no, don't make it about that. Don't make it about that. Or, or a mask or no mask. And, you know, it's not about that. It's not about that. Uh, we're losing focus in many churches. And given the sermon, that's what I meant in the sermon. We're losing focus. We're being distracted from what the issues truly are. And it is spiritual. And Daryl Hart has a, a good host of books. That old-time religion in modern America. That's one. Very controversial when it came out. And deconstructing e- evangelicalism. Uh, very, uh, might get you upset what, who and what he mentions in here. But he's saying that he's trying to make this wall of division between being a conservative evangelical and being in the OPC. There is a difference. There's a big difference. Um, what we do practically in the church and even what we observe outside of the church. Uh, things that you may have a personal conviction on may not be what a lot of people in our churches are, have convictions on. And so, um, what we do have convictions on is what I meant to get into this week, but I didn't. And that is the marks of the church. Um, preaching, sacrament, discipline, and um, the ordinary means of grace. Preaching, sacrament, and prayer. That's what we're bound to. We're not bound to any movement in the world. And we're not, uh, you won't find in our foyer, support this candidate because he's against abortion. No, I'm against abortion. I preach it. I preach against abortion just as I preach against racism. Just as I preach against um, uh, false philosophies that lead us astray into racism, such as critical race theory. In no way am I trying to tell you who to vote for when I do that. I'm trying to identify sin. It's sin. It's not up for political debate. That's sin. And who you vote for at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you who to, do, who to vote for. That's why the church, this church, will never have a sign supporting a candidate. A specific candidate. We, come, we know people that have all sorts of different views. How am I to bind somebody to one movement? Or even you know, the moral majority. This church supports the moral No, we don't. We don't support the moral majority uh, or any of those things as a church. As, and that's where we make a distinction. As a church, an institution. But if you have personal convictions, I encourage you, live them out. But don't bind the consciences of your fellow brothers and sisters. Yes, Jesse, what did you have to say? Yes, uh, um, like with convictions, there's definitely a lot of, I understand, I understand what you're saying, the negativity of it, how it can be taken too far. 
good that God, the Holy Spirit, will convict you of sin and, and of sin. Yeah. Try hard and like this is a good. It's a good thing, right? Well, the Holy Spirit would convict us, right? Yeah. We we don't question that at all. Yeah. We don't question personal conviction over sin. Now, what looks like sin, what, you know, given alcohol, drinking in public, well, it looks like sin, so we shouldn't do it. That's not what that passage means about don't give an appearance of evil, right? Um, you know, even the Billy Graham rule, what is that with the women? Um, that, that has become law, but it's not. I can be alone with a woman in my in my office, um, you know, that, that shouldn't be. Now, if I have a problem, I, I should seek the proper help when it comes to that and, and obviously take care of that. And if I have a problem, I'll leave the door open. Uh, if there's issues there or if, you know, I notice the conversation is not going in the right way, I'll open the door and my wife will be there, right? So, you know, there are many ways to deal with a sin problem that's not in line with, you know, what they have demanded is law. Get rid of alcohol. How did that stop the indulgence of the flesh? During prohibition. How did prohibition stop the indulgence of the flesh? They drank more during the, during, during the prohibition when you got rid of alcohol, right? Uh, um, and, you know, and, and the OPC would, I guess, would, would not stand in line with many of the Puritans even, both in New England and in... And, and, uh, and across the pond, because they, they did some of the same things in their day. They were trying to outlaw everything. Did it work? No, actually, eventually, Christianity now is no longer there. And people say, oh, well, that's secularism, that's the devil. No, I think we, we need to take some blame for it, for our legalism, right? Um, and not allowing the ordinary means to work. Um, and so, so, again, you know, it, it's not so much conviction of, personal sin we're up against. We're up against convictions that are neither here nor there. Right? Uh, I don't want to put him on the spot. There was a professor, I'm not going to say who, who died on, a, on the Lord's Day while watching an Eagles game. And another minister who's very well known in our church, in, both from our denomination said, what a way to enter the presence of the Lord. And I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's a little smack of legalism. That's my personal conviction. Um, you know, he could have been resting. He could have been reading his Bible while something was playing in the background. You don't know his motives. You, you don't know his heart. You don't know what he was doing to the glory of God, what he was, wasn't. Uh, and mind you, all of us are going to die with sin in our hearts um, so we're going to come into the presence of the Lord, probably doing something we shouldn't. Um, so, you know, that, to me, that was crossing the line. But we can have a difference of opinion on that. And I'm not going to bind you to my opinion on it, right? Um, so, so and, and I felt convicted over this week because I think many of us, especially if you're coming from an evangelical background, very conservative, very conservative, even politically, socially. You, you come into the OPC and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, you know, we have men who smoke cigars, who drink whiskey, 
and they're not being called out by their ministers. Uh, you know, we have um, mothers who will take their kids out for Halloween. Where's where's the pastoral advice? You know, uh, and we're you know, and you can get caught up in these little issues and ignore the actual sin, right? When it comes, and that has happened in many of these non-denominational uh, fundamentalist churches where they have this focus, this knack, but they're letting sin come in. Uh-huh. You know, the abuse of children and all of these things, they're, all, they're so active out in society, but within their own church, there's child abuse. And there's sexual misconduct, and you're like, how did this happen? The, the focus was shifted. They shifted the focus. They were too outward-looking not that we shouldn't be as Christians. We should be just people in a, in a society. But we, we can miss the sin that's happening within our own denomination, within our own congregation. I hope that's something that we can take away uh, from this, <clears throat> that um, you know, we shouldn't be divisive over personal convictions, um, but really uh, stand on those that are biblical. Right, adultery, fornication, those things which are uh, idolatry. Paul says in First Corinthians ten fourteen, and for, you know, flee from idolatry, right? And it wasn't just the appearance; they were actually committing idolatry. So that means we have another introduction class. I'm sorry. Uh, the next, uh, the next class will be um, for me. Uh, 